Lord, we love you, and we come knowing that your word is real nourishment for our souls, and we are hungry this morning, and where we're not hungry, give us fresh hunger, we pray. We need a fresh touch from the Spirit, Uh, we need to encounter truth, and as we have been, we want to continue to encounter the love of God. We need you, and so come and illuminate your word to our hearts so that we leave here a little bit different, a little more mature, a little more hungry a little bit more on task and on mission, and a little bit more at rest in your great love for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you remember the questions and the projections in April for the Red Sox? Do you remember back in April what the projections were for that team? Do you remember what the questions were? Right? The questions were, did we choose the right manager? Were our other off-season moves, were they the correct ones to make? And the projection was, I think a little bit like last year, uh, not so great in the division. But we get to six months later, and another set of World Series rings on these champions. There you go. And, uh, you know, David Ortiz being David Ortiz, just, you know, why not? Plops on a ski helmet and ski goggles. You go for it. (laughs) But I really appreciated one of his quotes after they won it all on Wednesday. And he said this. He said, you know what? Uh, This was perhaps the best win of the three because David Ortiz has experienced the victory in 04 and in 07 and now again in 2013. And uh, he was probed, you know, why? Why do you think that's so? And he said, well, you know, of course the team in 04 was just tons of character, tons of personality, just hilarious. And he said, the team in 07, they were just good, though, like from start to finish. 07, they were solid all the way throughout. We get to 2013 this year, and Ortiz says, we have a lot of players with heart. We probably don't have the talent we had in 07 and 04, but we have guys that are capable. They stay focused and do the little things. And when you win with that, it's special. When you win with that, it's special. This really struck me, and it actually truly reminded me of where we were as a church one month ago. The last time we took communion together, we realized that what God was doing was he was trying to overcome our divisions, overcome our weaknesses, overcome our unlikeliness to be functional so that his presence could come and dwell there. In fact, we look at another image. We looked at the image of the temple. It's the image that Paul was using in the end of Ephesians 2. He says, look, guys, and back then it was Jew and Gentile. Today, as we talked about last week, or a month ago, it's college student and non-college student. It's white and non-white. It's middle class and our outliers, both wealthy and poor. It's those who do navigate the training school and those who don't do the training school. It's those who flow with kind of our uh, more charismatic kind of practical theology and others who are a little bit more uh, distanced from that. All these divisions that we are natural in the harbor. But Paul was saying that God is wanting to break through those divisions so that, you see that, it might be hard for you, but that beautiful white building in that upper area there from which you see the smoke rising, God's trying to build his temple. The reason he cares about us breaking through the divisions is so that his presence can dwell in us. And, you know, one stone here, one stone there, it may not be that attractive, but when you put the stones together, 
and you have the courtyard, and then the inner court, and you have the Holy of Holies, and this beautiful building comes together. See, God's in the business of taking unlikely people and winning. He wants to take an unlikely people like us and win with his presence. And so it's in that very spirit. (laughs) That's a pretty tall order, right? Just as it was a tall order for the April Red Sox to six months later have the championship rings on their fingers, it's a tall order for God to break through our divisions, our natural places where we recoil from one another, and have us win. So what do you do when something's really hard? What do you do? What do I do? If something, if I'm faced with a really big challenge, hopefully this is our reflex more and more, we start to pray, all right? We pray. And now, don't you want to know what Paul prayed? Given this fact that he's trying to build that temple out of a divided people, what does Paul pray? That's what I want to know. I want to get into Paul's inner heart of hearts and know, what did you pray so this could happen? Let's find out together. Why don't you all stand? We're going to read together out loud Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 to find out what did Paul pray to see this happen. Let's read this together. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What else? And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Stay standing. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for Paul's ecstatic uh, proclamation. He's in a prison cell, but he's so filled with the Holy Spirit, he's able to proclaim this and pray this in such a powerful way. God, we're put to shame. I'm put to shame by my own. um, uh, I don't have that same. I don't have the same thing he has. I'll I'll say that, Lord. I want more of it. (laughs) We want more of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you can take a seat. So Paul has this thing in mind that God's trying to do something. He's trying to get an unlikely people to win together. And that win comes through unity. And he starts to pray. And the first thing he says is, hey, for this reason, right? For this reason that I just explained, that temple's what I got in mind. I bow before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. I mean, Paul is just really masterful. What's the first thing he says? He says, I'm going to pray to the Father because guess what? Actually, the language is really fun in there. He says, I'm going to pray to the Father from whom all fatherhood gets its name, patria. He says, I'm going to pray to the, the pater and I'm going to, because all patria, all fatherhood comes from, from him. So the first thing he's saying is, look, you guys, you guys group yourselves by Jews and Gentiles. You group yourselves with students, non-students, white, non-white, rich and poor. But guess what? Guess where you all come from? You all come from the same father, right? It's very basic, but he starts there, all right? And he says this, all right, and what does he pray? Let's, let's find out. First thing he prays, he prays, <laughs> I pray. He's going to pray two basic things here. So 16, 17a, I pray that out of his glorious riches, 
he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner man and in your inner being. And this is what I expect to come next. I expect because Paul is on such a tear. Again, he's filled with the Holy Spirit in prison. He's like, I don't care that I'm in prison. I got so much love of God in me. I expect him to say, I want you guys to be strengthened in your inner man by the spirit so that he can raise the dead. So you can heal the sick, right? All the things we're going to learn from Robbie Dawkins. It's going to be powerful. That's what I expected him to say. I expect him to say, so, blah, you know, fire, power, take it on, go for it. But what does he say? He says, I pray that you're strengthening your inner man by the Spirit, right? By the Holy Spirit. So that what? Christ can dwell in your heart. The first thing he prays so that we can make it as a church, so we can win by attaining this unity, so that his presence can come is, I pray that Christ dwells in your heart. And I love that. And I'm reminded of Jesus' last words. We, We have them preserved in this beautiful section of Scripture, John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, just the last words he's sharing with his friends before he goes to the cross. In John 14, he says, guess what, guys? If you obey me, me and the Father, this is John 14, 23, he says, uh, a Hubacher paraphrase. Basically, he says, hey, if you obey me, then the Father and me, we're going to come and we're going to dwell. We're going to make our home in your heart. And Paul's saying that's an essential thing for us is we need to have Jesus dwelling, abiding, remaining in our hearts. Jesus wants to make his home in your heart. And immediately that begs the question for me, Lord, how friendly is this heart for your presence? How welcome is my heart? What offensive things are still in my heart that make it so that you're not able to dwell and remain there? That's the question I have. I was praying with a student this week. And as I was praying for him, the picture that came to mind, excuse me, <coughs> the picture that came to mind was that of a snail. <coughs> Actually, could somebody just get me some water? I'm about to have a coughing fit, which is not fun for anybody. <coughs> thank you. Um, thank you. So I, the picture that came to mind as I was praying for the student was, hey, I feel like God just gave me a picture of a snail. And a snail, it might not sound so encouraging, right? Neil, please don't pray for me that. <coughs> but... The reason is because a snail has a shell on his back. And and the sense was, he's got his home on his back. And whenever he needs to, he can just be at home. And as I was praying for this student, I said, I think that's what God's doing with you. You just need to know that wherever you go, wherever you are, there's a little sanctuary in your heart. And you can dwell there. You know, it's where God lives inside you. And um, it's very encouraging to him, right? You got the home is on your back. Wherever you go, no matter who you're with, no matter the situation, you can be at home. Because God's at home in you. Thank you so much. Kelsey Hubacher, a round of applause. Wow, thank you. This is... Even with the Harbor Cup. Mm. Okay. I have... There's a very powerful booklet I have in my office. It's like this small, but it packs a punch of like 30 books in that, on that shelf. It's called My Heart, Christ's Home. It was written by a uh, fuller... Uh, man, I can't remember exactly what his post was at the, at the seminary in California, but he, his name is Robert Boyd Unger. And he wrote this book saying, um, just as kind of an allegory of Jesus coming to his heart, into the home of his heart, going room by room and saying, will you let me into this part? And so Robert Boyd Munger, he starts out in the study and says, Jesus wants to be in the study of your heart. And that study is that place 
where you, what you take in, you know, kind of for your intellectual stimulation, the things you meditate on, the, the, the things you're reading, the things you enjoy studying. And he felt like Jesus was saying to him, hey, whatever materials are not true, whatever you're meditating on that's not good or pure, you know, it's like this newspaper or that thing or whatever, he said, you're going to have to get rid of that because I want to dwell in the study of your heart. And then he felt like Jesus came into the dining room. And the allegory there, the, the, as, the, as the vision kind of continued, it was the place of your appetites and your desires. And Jesus said to him, do you know what is really satisfying? It's when you do the will of the Father. He says, I'm aware of your other appetites and your other desires. Right? What John in, in 1 John 2 says, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. I know you're driven by a lot of these desires. But what would happen? Will you come discover what is truly nourishing? I, you know, I'm living water. And man, if you will um, do the will of the Father, you'll find that to be incredibly good food. Next, he felt like Jesus wanted access to the living room. And the living room of his heart was that place where just he and Jesus could dwell. And he felt like the invitation from Jesus was, come spend time here. Right? Come, come spend time with me here. Let's be together. And as he unfolded it, he recognized that often he was very busy. He was always passing by the door of the living room. And there was Jesus. He kind of said, hey, I'm here sitting in the recliner. But he kept passing right by. And he heard Jesus say, I thought we were going to hang out some more. Will you please come and spend time with me? I, I love to spend time with you. And then he brought him into the workroom, right, where the bench is. Maybe it's there in the garage. And he, you know, Jesus asked to see his projects and things he was working on and he said, um, you know, Jesus said, well, you're not really bearing a whole lot of fruit for me. These are interesting projects, but it's not going on for me right here. And he, uh, Robert, um, the author, uh, Robert Boyd Munger said, I, I'm so frustrated because I want to bear fruit for you, but I feel like I don't know how. And that's where the master, Jesus, said, let me apprentice you. Let me show you how to bear fruit. Let me live through you so that you can bear fruit and so that your work here is, is effective. And then he went to the rec room, right? The recreation room. And uh, as Robert Boyd Munger says, he said, well, I'm going to go out with my friends right now. And Jesus said, can I come with you? And he suddenly felt really uncomfortable because he realized that a lot of his entertainment choices, a lot of his hangout with his buddies was not really what Jesus would enjoy for him to be doing. And then he said, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll yield that part to you as well. And, and um, I'll, I'll learn how to fellowship um, with the saints, and I'll learn how to enjoy your presence and make sure that whatever I'm doing for entertainment is, is um, something that is okay with you sitting right here beside me. And then, as you can imagine, up to the bedroom. Oh, no. <laughs> and the Lord just said, hey, I'm, I want to be Lord of your sexuality also. All the, everything, you know, your whole sexual drive, it is good. I made it good. And the parameters that I put around it, you know, the reason that I want you not to be um, having um, sexual relations outside of marriage, the reason why I want these uh, boundaries of purity on your life is because I made it good and I want you to experience it good. Will you let me be Lord of the bedroom also? I said, yes, Lord. And then Jesus kind of noticed that something was stinking and something was putrid. And so Jesus kind of wandered over to the hall closet and he said, Robert, what's behind here? And shame and embarrassment and uh, Robert 
mentions that there's just the filth of past things, unresolved uh, relational things. There's unforgiveness, bitterness, and whatever. There's just a stink in the closet. And Jesus said, well, I'm not going to stay in this house unless you give me the key to that closet. You let me in. Let's go through. Let me, I can get rid of all the junk. Will you let me get rid of all that junk? He says, yes. And then finally it ends, the allegory kind of ends this way, where he says, you know what? We've been going room by room, Jesus. Will you just take the title? Why don't you take the title? Can I sign the deed to the house over to you? And Jesus said, that's exactly what I've been wanting to do this whole time. I just love that little booklet. It sits in a place right across from where I can see when I sit at the desk. And it's always reminding me that even as we just sang, he really won't relent until he has it all. He wants every room. He wants the house of your home, title and deed. And that's what he's working towards lovingly. I mean, it's the best realtor you could ever have. He loves you. And he's for you, but he wants to make his home in your heart. Paul prays this, and notice I love the little tag. He says, hey, I pray that you'd be strengthened, your inner man, by the Spirit, so that Christ would, Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith. Okay, it's by faith. That's the other thing we need to be aware of. There are days we wake up, and I don't feel particularly welcoming to Jesus. There are days I wake up and I may not feel particularly welcoming to the Holy Spirit. But that's when we get up and by faith we say, Lord, please make your home in my heart. I want you here. So we're not driven by feelings. We walk by faith. Amen? Amen. Okay. So the first thing that Paul prayed was in order for us to see this thing happen, in order for an unlikely group of people to win, in terms of church and unity and the presence of God coming, as we need to have Christ dwelling in all of our hearts. Right? All of us have to say together, I want Jesus to dwell in my heart by faith. Amen? Amen. All right. Awesome. Second thing. So sometimes I've said love lives inside. Right? Sorry, that was the first thing. Love lives inside. We're saying love wants to live inside. Everyone say love lives inside. inside. Amen. Jesus wants to live inside. Okay? And then what's the second thing that Paul prays? He prays. I pray that out of his Uh, Thank you. (laughs) And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the Lord's saints, all the holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. So the second thing that he prays is that all of us would regularly be experiencing, tasting, yes, feeling, knowing the love of God. And he just runs out of language, as he often does, to explain what that's like. He prays that you would know the love of God. He prays that we would, A, be rooted and established in love. I love what Beth Price shared with our staff. She shared about dune grass. So now just think to summer. Wasn't it great? Actually, this is a great fall, too. This is like the most mild fall we've had in ever, forever. And it's so beautiful. But, um, and where was I? I was just at the beach, like, oh, yesterday. That's right. (laughs) So... I actually was at the beach yesterday, so it's pretty vivid in my mind, at <laughs> Plum Island. And uh, Plum Island, or pick your North Shore, or Cape Cod, or Martha's Vineyard Beach of Choice, and just think of dune grass. You know, you've got the shore and the beach, and then it leads up to this ridge where there's grass. And Beth Price shared with us that the dune grass is, has an incredible root system in order to, A, uh, make sure that that grass lives. Like, it has to get moisture. But the result of that dune grass being so, uh, having such a deep, far, wide root system is that it stabilizes everything. That's what keeps the sand there. 
So it's rooted, right? It's well-rooted. What a good picture for us. God wants you to be rooted in that love so that there's stability. And then grounded, the, the, the word there, grounded, is like laying a foundation. God wants there to be a foundation laid in our hearts of love, right? That's how we function. And don't we see that in the natural? In the natural, right? And just families in the natural. Uh, you know, we kind of peaked in the 80s. Uh, Alex mentioned you know, he came from a divorced family. Well, he's about one in two. You know, it peaked in the 80s in this country, about 50% divorce rate. Now we're about hovering at 40%. And um, the, the issue just being, the reason I bring that up is there's no condemnation. Anything like that. Life, life is hard and life is messy. But my point is just that we see all this delinquency, all this antisocial behavior, all of the uh, lack of impulse control around young adults. I mean, gosh, this 14-year-old, God have mercy on his soul, who just took the life of the Danvers High teacher. We don't know what's going on, and I don't know his family life either. But is there not, I mean, a correlation between when, when a child is not rooted and grounded in love, then that's when we see all the antisocial delinquent behavior. It's just when they don't have that rooting and grounding of stability, mom and dad who love me, right? So Paul's just saying here, hey, we need to be rooted and established. That's going to be our foundation, just the love of God, right? That's, that's our starting point is God loves you. And he goes on and he says, I pray that you'd have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how deep and high is the love of Christ. Now, I, for years, I've read this passage this way. I've thought that Paul's just saying, hey, I pray that you guys in Ephesus, a few other churches in that area, and I pray that you'd have the ability to grasp, like all the other saints, you know, like the guys in Rome, the guys in uh, Corinth, you know, the guys in Thessaloniki. I pray that you could just know how much God loves you, like these other guys do. But I don't think that's the full thing of what Paul is saying. In other words, I thought it was just like a big plural. Because every, by the way, every you in this passage is you plural. I pray that you would know how much God loves you. I thought he was just kind of expanding it. Like you, like the other people, you'd all know how much God loves you. But I believe with all my heart what he's saying is that some of the love of God we cannot experience but in community. That I pray that with the other saints you'd be able to grasp how much God loves you. And you're not going to get it until we get it together. Amen? And my life, and I think your lives too, but my life is peppered with those moments where because I was in community and someone loved me, I experienced the love of God. It's what Alex experienced when that young life leader, Lauren, Laura, excuse me, uh, the unconditional acceptance that she offered Alex so he could get back on track. I mean, the guy was missing her meetings. Alex was missing her meetings. He was getting high. And what does Laura say? I love you. Come back with us. I'll never forget the summer of 1987. It was the summer after my eighth grade year. I also, just a year after my parents had split, I was empty, emotional. I was in bondage. Uh, And I show up in Jamaica with our church mission trip. And uh, Hurricane Gilbert had just passed through Jamaica. We, We come to this rural church. The half of the roof, just imagine if half of this roof had been peeled off by a hurricane. We get into this church, so now there's like, it's been a little while, so now there's kind of some vines that are growing inside the church. And we're being welcomed by this church. And kind of the main lay leader, this big Jamaican woman gets up, and she just says, let's worship. And she starts to sing this old Andre Crouch song. She starts to sing, bless the Lord, 
Oh, my soul and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He has done great things. He has done great things. He has done great things. Bless his holy name. Well, that messed with me. The power of God came on me. I lost it. I did not understand how a woman could be worshiping the God who had allowed the roof of her church just to get ripped off. And I started to, to cry. I started to weep. I just didn't understand. But that's when the love of God met me, right? I experienced the love of God in this woman who was just worshiping, so joyful and full of the joy of the Lord in spite of great trial. And that changed me. And I know that this house is filled with many of you have had the same kind of experience where God meets you. Maybe it's in a small group. Maybe it's in a friend who forgives you. Maybe it's just in seeing the beauty of a flower or the sky. I don't know if you saw the sunset on Friday, but Friday we came out of the 99 and we just had a little family worship time in the parking lot because the, the sky was pink and orange and purple. And we just said, oh my gosh, God, you're pretty good at what you do. That's the love of God. Okay. So some of the love of God we only experience in community. Man, okay, sorry. Ugh. Thank you, Lord. Let me, just a couple more thoughts here. We're going to take communion together. Amen. How long, how wide, how deep, and how high is the love of Christ? We'll, we'll skip that one. Let me just go to, um, I mean, it's, it's big, right? I'll just tell you that. <coughs> I love this. I love when Paul says, and to know this, uh, so let's just back up one. Uh, and to know the love of Christ <laughs> that surpasses knowledge. There we go. That's kind of funny. No, it's the same word, gnosis, gnosis. It is this experiential knowing. Knowing the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Well, what's he talking about there? The best way I know how to explain it is this. I've been telling. Okay, so we have a couple of seminarians here. We have Stephen Hartley. He's from Georgia. Um, Jude is from North Carolina. And I know we have some barbecue establishments here in Beverly. But I've been telling him... <laughs> There is a really legit barbecue place in West Newton where I used to teach high school. I said, someday I want to get you guys there. Well, so World Main Day was just in Waltham, one town over. And I thought, while we're here, can I just show you this barbecue? So it is one thing for me to explain to these Southerners who are familiar with good barbecue. I can explain it all I want. Like, someday, just come with me to Blue Ribbon Barbecue in West Newton. But then, last Saturday, when they got to sink their teeth into that pulled pork... <laughs> And why do I, every illustration goes to lunch. All right. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Macaroni and cheese, the mashed potatoes, all that. Now they know, right? It's one thing to share about it. It's another thing to experience it. And they've experienced barbecue. You know, as best as we can, uh, our, our weak Yankee approach at, um, at, at uh, bar- barbecue. I think that's what Paul's talking about. I want you to know how much God loves you and to know that comes just by experience. Amen. All right. We need that, don't we? Okay. I'm going to invite the worship band to come back up. And this is what I want us to do. We are going to take communion now. And we're going to do it the same way we did it a month ago because God's doing something here. And also it's because Paul's not letting up on it, right? His whole theme here is, you guys, Jews and Gentiles, we need to overcome this thing so God's glory can come. So it is with the harbor. We need to overcome the the divisions that come between us naturally. We need to overcome them 
so God's glory can dwell here. So like we did a month ago, if you weren't with us a month ago, I'm going to invite you to just come and get those elements. You know, dip the uh, matzah bread in the grape juice, or we have gluten-free also, and just do so with a group of two or three or four, some people that you do not know, or some people who you may even sense, I just, you know, we never hang out. They're college, I'm not. They're young, I'm not, you know. Uh, they're softball players, I'm not. You know, whatever it is, just whatever the thing you're feeling, just get some people, just two or three or four, and just have communion together and pray for each other and pray this prayer over one another. Could you do that? Just pray, God, I pray. Fill Joe up. You know, let, let Christ dwell in Joe's heart by faith. You know, I pray, Carly, let Carly know how long and how wide or deep and high the love of Jesus is today. Amen? Can we do that today? Okay, why don't we stand up and ask... For that love to live inside and break the divide between us. <laughs> and why don't those who are serving communion, we could have some um, advisory team, leadership folk, come on up and take your place on both sides here. Thank you. Wow. Samuel Boaz is serving communion. He's only two months old. Five weeks. <laughs> Amen. Lord, we thank you that you died on the cross for many reasons, and among which is that a body of believers, people on whom you would, on whose hearts you'd write the law of God, we didn't, that we wouldn't need to be instructed anymore because we'd have the Holy Spirit and we'd have the law of God written in our hearts is what Jeremiah prophesied. You died so that a group of people like that could come together. And because of how they overcame the divisions in their midst and the natural ways that they kind of repelled from one another, that God, you'd, you'd, you'd bring them together in unity and God's glory would show up. It would look like a beautiful building. It'd be so beautiful. That's one of the reasons you died. So that God could have a church that reflected his glory through their unity. And it wouldn't just be a cutesy or feel good unity but it'd be deep in our hearts recognizing the giftings in one another and longing for the kingdom to come and so Lord we remember that on the night you were betrayed you took the bread and you said this is my body broken for you take it in remembrance of me with your friends there after the meal you took the cup you said this cup it's the cup of the new covenant new relationship that you have with, with God because of what I'm doing. We remember that, Lord. We all receive fresh mercy and grace that we need so desperately today. The Lord, make us one. So your glory can dwell, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You come up, take the elements and bring them back with you. Find two or three people you don't know yet, four. And, um, just take communion at your own pace with your little group. Pray for each other. Amen. Come on up. Don't delay.